Welcome to another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm your host, Jack Llewellyn. And for those of you who've been with us for a couple weeks, in particular last week, we'd made some promises or expectations about a guest and some interviews. And let's just say that legal issues came up and those are on hold for a minute. So, we're going to go a different direction this week. But before we get to this week, I want to go back and talk about last week and just clarify two quick points on the interrogation tapes. And if you listen to last week's presentation, we talked about the interrogation tapes and kind of went through the who, what, and the why. Um, and I think it was interesting. Uh, got some good comments and good feedback. So if you haven't listened to it, please go back and take a look. Um, but there are two things that I want to clarify. So the first is, what were the tapes? So the tapes, the five copies of tapes that the DEA received, are clearly, as I said, copies. In all likelihood, what happened was uh, the recording was done on a reel-to-reel. Uh, and from that copies were made or tapes were made. So it's really a copy of a copy, uh, an audio cassette recording of that bigger master recording. So um, that does lead to more possibility for there to be gaps, uh, missing information, things of that nature. The other thing is when we talk about the transcripts, we're really talking about the translation of a transcript because everything, as we talked about, was in, in Spanish, all right? There was no English, so somebody had to translate, or maybe back up, somebody had to transcribe as best they could these chaotic uh, recordings, and then from that transcription... In Spanish, somebody had to translate it into English. What I was talking about, what I've looked at, are the English translations. And, of course, there's going to be differences in translation, uh, differences in uh, quality. And a lot of that's just going to depend on you know who's doing the translation, what their motivations are, what the timing is, all of that. So you are at least one step removed from a, uh, you know, a genuine, uh, real copy of or real version of what was said. All right. Um, I, I think those were important to just keep in mind, but uh, uh, and, and that I may not have covered as well as I should have last week. So with that, today we're going to go in a different um, direction, and I want to talk for a second about, you know, what are we doing here? And I've said over and over um, that the goal here is to the best that we can to figure out what the truth is, and if we can't figure out what the truth is, at least figure out what untruths there are what lies there are, what things are out there that um, aren't valid or aren't supported by the evidence. 
And we've talked a lot about uh, Agent Boreas and the, the last narc and his witnesses, primarily Godoy and Lopez. But we've also talked a little bit about the government's prosecution of certain defendants. And I think it's important that we really look today at the government's case and the government's witnesses. Because when we do that, we're going to start to see a pattern, a pattern that relates to the veracity of these witnesses and calls into question their reliance or the reliance on those witnesses by the U.S. government in the three trials, um, particularly for our purposes, the two Zuno trials. It also calls into question the reliance, the integrity, the due diligence that was paid to these witnesses and their testimony by the prosecutors themselves, by the DE agents who uh, verified them, vouched for them, got them out of legal messes, uh, made sure that they had money. And it calls into question the reliance on them, on these witnesses in the last narc and in other media where uh, many allegations are made, the ones that we've talked about primarily being uh, the allegations relating to the CIA, to Felix Rodriguez, and to Jaime Kirkendall. So today what I want to do is look at the government's conspiracy case and look in particular at the testimony that was put on in the, the two trials, the two Zuno trials, with respect to conspiracy meetings. And we're going to point out some, some interesting facts, um, some things that are a little bit different about uh, these meetings when you put them all together and you line them up. And then we're going to start asking some questions. And again, the purpose here is to really start to question what you've been told, what you've been told you can rely upon. And uh, I think that when we get done with this analysis, you'll see why it's important and, and why it has value. Now, in order to understand this, we have to start back at the trials. So remember, there was the first trial with Rene Verdugo and others. That was in 1988, and there was no conspiracy trial there, or no conspiracy counts. It really was, all right, we have direct evidence that places you at Lope de Vega, places you in connection with the events surrounding Agent Camarena's abduction and interrogation and murder, and that's what's being charged. It wasn't until later, when the Zuno trial started, that these grand conspiracy uh, allegations first appeared. And if you'll remember, they all kind of flow through Mexico from a uh, gentleman by the name of Antonio Grate Bustamante, uh, a former Mexican police official who had some connections with the DEA and was bringing witnesses perhaps 
many, many witnesses to the DEA um, and producing witnesses that eventually testified. And if you remember, at the first Zuno trial, so that's Zuno and Mata uh, and Javier Vasquez Velasco and Bernabe, okay, that first Zuno trial, the primary witness for these conspiracies was Hector Cervantes Santos. There was also someone else by the name of Enrique Placencia Aguilar who testified a little bit. We'll talk about him. Aguilar was kind of a gopher, a hanger around for the cartel, worked um, for or around Fonseca and Caro. But it really was Cervantes Santos. After Santos or Cervantes testified in that first trial, Judge Rafiti orders a new trial based on prosecutorial misconduct, based on some misstatements or misuse of evidence in closing arguments by Manny Medrano. The case goes up to the Ninth Circuit on appeal, and during that period, Cervantes' credibility is effectively destroyed. Um, he recants much of what he said. It, there are there's evidence that some of what he said was false. Uh, he testifies or, or gives statements that uh, you know he was coached. Various things happen. Cervantes is no longer in play. Ninth Circuit affirms the second Zuno or the Zuno retrial. It goes back. And suddenly the government has two new witnesses, Godoy and Lopez Romero, who testify in Zuno 2 in ways that are markedly different than what Cervantes testified to. And Cervantes, the star witness from Zuno 1, is nowhere to be found. All right. So with that, we have then you know, four people who, over the course of two trials, talk about what the government referred to as conspiracy meetings. Cervantes, Placentia, Godoy, and Lopez. In total, there are ten meetings, ten, that are introduced between the two Zuno trials. Um, in addition... A gentleman by the name of Sergio Espino Verdeen, who had been the commander of the Mexican Federal Bureau of Political and Social Investigations, um, gave uh, a statement to Mexican officials that there was another meeting, uh, if you want to call it that, on the morning of February 7th, the morning that Camarena was abducted which may mean that there were actually 11 of these meetings. But in any event, at trial, 10 different meetings introduced, described by prosecution witnesses. The earliest of these meetings occurred in September of 84. The latest of these alleged meetings occurred in February of 85, so immediately preceding the the kidnapping of Agent Camarena. In total, if you put them all together, there were 86 people, 86 people 
allegedly at one or more of these uh, conspiracy meetings. Now, keep in mind, 86 people who all could have testified, provided evidence, gossiped, gone to the DEA, etc. All right. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Now, I'm going to walk through the 10 meetings with you. And we're going to do it fairly quickly because I don't want to bore everybody to death. But I think there's some important things here. Um, and we'll talk about some of the the inconsistencies both as we walk through them and uh, then at the end. All right. So the first te- uh, the first alleged conspiracy meeting was one that Hector Cervantes Santos testified to September of 84 at Javier Barba Hernandez's house. Two things are interesting here. One is that the people present um were basically um Javier Bar- Barba Hernandez, Ruben Zuno Arce and a few other traffickers but uh, no government officials, no uh, no Carl Quintero, no Fonseca. And it's important to know that the testimony is that of the limited things Cervantes heard, and he doesn't testify much about this one, but he says they wanted to know who the person was who was causing them trouble. Okay, so allegedly that's in... Uh, September of 84, testified to by Cervantes Santos. The second meeting is one known as the Las Americas meeting. This one is testified to by Godoy and and by Lopez Romero. Godoy says it's in September, October of 84. Lopez says it's October or November of 84. Nevertheless, it's at the Las Americas Hotel, and the names of the people who allegedly attend is incredible. You've got General Gardoki, who's the head of the Mexican military. You have Miguel Aldana Ibarra. Um, You have the mayor, or the mayor, sorry, the governor of the state of Jalisco, you have um, Sergio Espino Verdeen, who I referred to. You have Manuel Bartlett Diaz, who was at the time the uh, probably the second most important and powerful person in Mexico, or most important and powerful politician in Mexico. Um, in total, between the two of them, there are some place al- along the lines of. 15 or so military politicians and an equal number of traffickers and their security. The traffickers include uh, Caro Fonseca and Felix Gallardo in this particular uh, alleged meeting. Two things are, are really important. Actually, three. Sorry. First is that... There's a statement in here um, in when Godoy is testifying that he says that one of the military or one of the politicians has said, hey, I've already gone to speak to the 
agent that's causing us trouble, but he didn't want to accept a deal. He didn't want to be involved with the drug traffickers. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is Godoy and Lopez uh, are allegedly both there, but only Godoy gives any information about what was said because Lopez Romero says he was outside the hotel standing guard the entire time. The third thing, and, and I'll save this to the end, we'll go back to this, but the third thing is, remember, this is at the Las Americas Hotel which was a hotel in Guadalajara, purportedly owned by the traffickers. And it's important, again, keep in mind um, that hotel, all right? But again, and also keep in mind, the idea here is that somebody says, hey, I've already talked to the agent, and he won't work with us. All right, there was another meeting in October of 84, this time testified to by Cervantes at the first trial. Keep in mind, keep in mind that if they're different, the meetings testified to by Cervantes at the first trial, okay, such as this one, this one including Matabayasteros, um, Javier Barber Hernandez, uh, Miguel Aldana Ibarra, who's the head of the DFS. These were not testified to at all during the second trial. Okay. Somehow those important meetings just didn't exist. Um, so Cervantes testifies and says, here's this other meeting in October of 84 and um, Aldana says, hey, I'll have the information soon on who this guy is, who the agent is that's causing us trouble. Cervantes then says um, about a couple weeks later, there is a wedding, a wedding celebration at La Quinta, um, which um, was owned by Javier Barber Hernandez. It was a celebration for his brother's wedding. And here we have another meeting that includes uh, Matabayasteros, it includes Cara Quintero, Fonseca, uh, a couple of other traffickers, and it also allegedly includes Ruben Zunorarce. Again, he says, hey, we're still trying to identify the person causing us trouble. Godoy and Lopez then talk about a meeting that's been referred to as the AK-47 meeting, and I'll give you information on that in a moment. Here we have um, a lot of people again. We've got the governor. We've got uh, uh, several military officers. We have Rafael Caracantero. We have Fonseca. We have El Sami. Uh, we have... Uh, a couple of other of the major traffickers, and we allegedly have uh, Ruben Zunoarce. This um, is an interesting one. The only conspiracy meeting 
alleged conspiracy meeting testified to by both Godoy and Lopez, where they both allegedly heard things, is this one, okay? This AK-47 meeting. Godoy says at one part that the governor says, hey, I already have my people working on it. Don't worry about it. Lopez Romero, on the other hand, says, we already have all the information. That person has already been located. Again, a subtle difference. But I ask you if it's a difference and a distinction that's important. Uh, one of the reasons that this case is, or this meeting is known as this AK-47 meeting is uh, Fonseca, according to Godoy, asks El Sammy to go get a present for the governor, which is a gold-plated and engraved AK-47. There's also an, an allegation by Godoy that I think is interesting. He says at one point in this meeting, Carl says, I don't want to become famous. This is going to cause us trouble. And that's a very, very different characterization than we typically typically get with respect to Carl. That he's the hothead. He's the one who wanted to pick up the agent and certainly wasn't worried about becoming quote-unquote famous. Um, Okay. We also have a meeting at the end of October at Javier Barba's home testified to by Godoy and Lopez. Again, you have you have big people at this one. Manuel Bartlett Diaz, Alvarez del Castillo, Miguel Aldana Ibarra, Ruben Zuno Arce are all are alleged to be there. Of of the uh the traffickers, you got Javier Barber Hernandez, Caro Fonseca, El Sammy, um a whole bunch of others. Godoy testifies in far more detail about the the people who were there and what was going on because Lopez Romero says he was playing pool, didn't get to hear any of the conversation. Godoy says two things that are interesting. Uh, One is he testifies that Ruben Zuno at one point calls the agent that they're concerned about that fucking gringo. Gringo. Um, And he says, what is he doing here in Mexico? It's not his country. We have to pick him up. That's what Godoy alleges to have been said. A gringo. The other thing is, later on, though, he also says, why hadn't um, or that Carl Quintero is asking, why hadn't we gotten all the information on this guy? Uh, Enrique Placencia, as I said, testified to one meeting in December of 84, where um, you had Garate Bustamante present. Interesting to note, Garate um, rarely shows up in the lists of people in the conspiracy meetings 
alleged by anyone else. Um, and then you have other people, including um, some of the Velasco brothers. You got Javier Barber Hernandez. You got Caro Quintero. Um, this one is important, though. This is very important because Placencia says that they had passed around a picture of Camarena with a local restaurateur by the name of Antonio Padilla, that everyone had looked at the picture. Now, if that's true, and keep in mind, the government put him on the stand. The assistant United States attorneys in charge of the case questioned him. They solicited evidence from him where he says everyone at this meeting looked at a picture of Agent Camarena. If that's true, none of their, the rest makes sense. The idea of a lookout, somebody to point out Camarena, none of that makes sense. Questions everything. Where was that testimony in the second trial? Nowhere to be found. Uh, Godoy also testifies to another meeting in uh, December of 84 at Javier Barber Hernandez's house. Lopez Romero says he wasn't there. But again, now they're questioning, hey, where's the information? Why don't we have the information? Why don't we know who this person is? Um, Cervantes Santos also testified in the first trial to an early February meeting at La Quinta with uh, Fonseca, Javier Barbara Hernandez, Caro Quintero, and Ruben Zuno Arce, allegedly. Um, they apparently, uh, one of the allegations is that they actually had talked about whether or not they should kidnap the U- the United States ambassador, uh, John Garvin, and um, that somebody, I think it, the testimony is it was Javier Barber says, whoa, 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 can't do that. That would be, that would be crazy. Um, which again, I think is interesting. If you think about who makes the decision to capture or to, to um, abduct Camarena, what the basis for that is, what the repercussions were going to be, etc. All right, the last, the last meeting testified to comes from Lopez Romero. Godoy is not present. Lopez Romero says this is sometime in February of 85 at Fonseca's residence on Hidalgo Street. Here's what's interesting. Here are the people that were involved. Amongst others, the governor again, General Gardoki again, um, Miguel Aldana again, um, Sergio Espino Verdeen again, Manuel Bartlett Diaz again, uh, and then you have allegedly Carl Quintero, Fonseca, Barbara Hernandez, uh, Felix Gallardo, and several others. What was said at this meeting, you might ask? Good question. Lopez Romero doesn't know. He says they met in the bedroom for one to two hours, uh, and he did not hear anything about the meeting. 
Now, I just want you to picture this for a second. So you got Lope de Vega, which is a house in Guadalajara. They call it a mansion. Um, you know, it, it's not small, but I don't think many of us listening to this would consider it a mansion. Uh, and if you want, there are pictures of Lope de Vega on my website. Go and look at it. Uh, can't get in there right now, uh, though I, I, I tried. Uh, it's actually a Montessori preschool now, and they were having a party the day I was last there, uh, and something about that just seems terribly wrong. But, so all these people show up at Lope de Vega. Bartlett Diaz, again, the second most powerful politician in Mexico. General Gardoki, the head of, of Mexican defense. They're all going to go sit in a bedroom for one to two hours, discuss things, and then come out. Does that strike anybody as a little bit odd? All right, so that's the 10 meetings in a nutshell. Again, 86 total participants some some at some meetings, some at others. What are the questions that we really have about this? Um, one is, and I think one of the most important ones, is Las Americas Hotel. Again, if you go back to the testimony, the testimony from Godoy and Lopez is that there was this meeting at the Las Americas Hotel. And all of these people... I mean, this was by far the largest meeting they testified to as far as number of people, including, again, Barlett Diaz, Godoki, uh, the, the governor, others. And at the Las Americas Hotel, allegedly in a suite. Several important things. Number one, uh, as it's described, the Las Americas Hotel was not a fancy hotel by any stretch of the imagination, nor was it in the best part of town. When I was in Guadalajara, I spoke to several people. And, and when I say several people, I mean several people. And asked them about the allegation that Bartlett Diaz was at a meeting at uh, Las Americas Hotel. To a person. They essentially laughed in my face. And said. That someone like. Bartlett Diaz. Someone like Gardoki. Would not be caught dead. At Las Americas Hotel. Number two. Las Americas was right off of a major street. Didn't have significant parking. Uh, if there had been lots of cars, limousines, you know, I mean, we have to assume that if if uh, somebody like Bartlett Diaz was there, he wasn't, you know, renting a Yugo and pulling up. They didn't have Ubers back then. Um, you know, they would have had an entourage. Somebody would have been there. Somebody would have been waiting for him. They might have had their own security. Again, on a major street, somebody... A bunch of somebodies would have noticed that. The likelihood, 
and and again, people in Guadalajara verified this. The likelihood that somebody like a Gardoki or Bartlett Diaz could come in and out of Guadalajara quietly, not be noticed by anyone, not get picked up by anyone in the press, uh, is to say remote would get, be giving it too much credit. And I wish I could show you now, but we also have pictures of Las Americas Hotel. And we have affidavits from people who worked at the Las Americas Hotel who swear that there never was a suite that was large enough to um, hold the people that uh, allegedly were at this meeting. And it certainly wasn't located where Godoy and Lopez allege the layout simply doesn't match their testimony. All right, so ask yourself, does the testimony of a major meeting, a major meeting, um, occurring with all of these important people in October, November, maybe late September 1984 at Los America's Hotel, does that seem plausible? Or does it at least raise questions? And if it raises questions, do those questions go back to Godoy and Lopez, who testified about them, and to the government that put them on, and the attorneys that solicited testimony from them. As we went through the meetings, we also talked about the inconsistent statements. Um, you know, did they know who it was? Did they not know who it was? When did they identify him? When didn't they? But it really raises, um, in my mind, two questions. So one is, uh, you know, were the witnesses being truthful when they testified? Um, And did they get the timeline right? You know, were they trying to remember at which meeting was it that they knew and which one didn't they? But it also raises the question of, These are conspiracy meetings about what? (laughs) Let's go back. Think back to the kidnapping. They waited on the street. Somebody pointed him out and then they picked him up. That doesn't strike me as a, you know, a planning, a conspiracy that requires this many meetings. Uh, even if believed, every meeting they're saying, okay, we got to figure out who this person is because they're causing problems. How many times do you have to meet about that? Again, what's plausible? What makes you start to question the veracity of the evidence being presented? I also think it's really important to go back to that picture of Camarena. And 
Placencia is not the only person who has alleged that in the past. Alleged that there was a picture of Camarena that um, some of the traffickers had before the kidnapping. We know that when uh, House of Felix Gardos was raided after the interrogation um, and the uh, the kidnapping, that a picture of Camarena was found. But again, if that's true, then much of what Godoy and Lopez and others say about the actual abduction itself and the events leading up to the abduction don't make sense. Don't you also find it interesting that Lopez, Romero, and Godoy only hear things, only overhear things at the same meeting one time and then they get it wrong? Or they don't say the same thing. One could look at it and say, you know, people, people's memories fade. It's only natural that you're going to misremember certain things or somebody's going to remember it one way and somebody's going to remember it differently. But if that's the case, then one of them remembers incorrectly. That's even assuming that they're that one of them is telling the truth, which I uh, do not grant you, but will assume for purposes of this discussion. If they are wrong, if one of them is wrong about this detail. How do we know they're not wrong about other details? Does it make you want to get more corroboration? And corroboration's an interesting point, because what you'll hear a lot is, well, Godoy and Lopez corroborated each other. But when you go through the testimony, they really don't. Godoy's at certain meetings and says, oh, yeah, I heard this and I heard this. Lopez says, I don't know. I was outside. I was playing pool. I didn't hear anything. Lopez Romero says, hey, I was at a big meeting in February. Godoy's nowhere to be found. They don't corroborate each other. And what that really means, what that really means is that for all practical purposes, in the first trial, Ruben Zuno Arce and others were convicted of conspiracy based on the testimony of Cervantes Santos, who was discredited, who says that he was coached. And in the second trial, every material allegation is made by one person and not really corroborated. Not if you really look at the evidence by the other. Um, I think it's interesting if you look at the, the testimony regarding these meetings even assuming that it's that they're they're true the amount of involvement of Felix Gallardo is minimal at best there are a couple of meetings where he's alleged to have been present 
But there's virtually no testimony of him talking, of him planning anything, of him really saying anything at all. Query whether or not that makes any sense at all. Um, And one of the things we know, when Sergio Espino Verdeen was, was arrested, he was taken to Mexico City and questioned. When he first testified, or um, gave an affidavit, or was interviewed, when the DEA was present, he said that Felix Gallardo was not at Lope de Vega. And keep in mind, going back, Sergio Espino Verdeen almost undoubtedly was one of the interrogators, almost undoubtedly was on the tapes, and may well have been the person to whom... Agent Camarena referred to as Commandante. Okay. So Espino Verdeen says Felix Gallardo wasn't even there. The next day, DA goes back um, for a second round of interviews with Espino Verdeen, and he's now produced a uh, an affidavit where he says he forgot, but he now remembers that Felix Gallardo was there. Keep in mind that the interrogation of Espino Verdeen that day got so bad that the DEA agents left. He was being interrogated so hard, perhaps used the word tortured, that the DEA agents left. So the fact that he remembered something the next day is suspicious at best. Okay, what does this mean? Jack, why are you telling us all this? I'm telling you all this because we know, we now know, any reasonable person, I think, looking at this says, all right, even if we want to believe Godoy and Lopez and Manny Medrano and Hector Barreas, there has to be more proof. We have to find corroboration. And that's what we're going to see as we go further into this is missing. Last week, I um, invited people to send comments on my website, uh, which is jacklewellen.com, or go to llewellynwriting at gmail.com and send comments. And thank you for those of you who did. A common theme was wanting to get back to and talk more about the involvement or the lack of involvement of the CIA. So, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a couple of things, all while holding out hope that the legal issue I mentioned uh, was gets resolved. We're going to talk um, more about the CIA's involvement in the Iran-Contra case, about possible drug dealing uh, outside of that, We'll touch on um, Gary Webb and his allegations. And then we're going to tie that all back into a renewed analysis of whether or not the CIA was or could have been, reasonably might have been involved in Agent Camarena's death. And in connection with that, we're also going to talk about 
uh, Dr. Alvarez Machine, who was kidnapped from Mexico, brought to the United States. And we're going to talk about his case and how that relates to the issues that we have been talking about today of credibility, veracity, of corroboration. So that's what's coming up. Thank you for putting up with uh, what might have been a long slog through the uh, the alleged conspiracy meetings. But again, I think it's important. It all starts to paint a picture, and it will inform on the things we do going forward. So thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>